weeks. Kiddos for Children's Church, see you later. Good luck, Miss Shelby. Uh, my family and I are going to be gone for a couple of weeks, and so next week Matt Moore is going to be preaching uh, out of the book of Exodus. And then the week after that, we have a guest speaker, Pastor Seth Seal from over in Sunray, is going to come and open God's Word to us uh, that Sunday. So um, my, me and my family will be gone for a couple weeks, and we will miss you. Please pray for safe travels for us. We'll be with Angie's family for about a week, and then we'll be with my family for about a week. And so we've been looking forward to that. We had plans to go and be with my family last summer. COVID messed all that up, and so we're looking forward to being able to go and be with them, um, see both sides of our family here over the next couple of weeks. Exodus chapter 12, you'll recall, I preached a sermon from last week. We're going to carry on in Exodus chapter 12 again this week, kind of uh, part two of a, of, a, of a series. Now, those of you who know me know that I tend to forget a lot of things. I forget a lot of things. I'm not sure if it's because I have a bad memory or if it's because of um, some other reason I can't remember right now, but... Yes, that was a joke. There, there are a lot of things that are important for us to remember. There are, there are a lot of things that are important for us to remember every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, important things that uh, when we forget, we're in big trouble, right? Like birthdays and anniversaries. Um, the, you know, the phone number for 911. Do you know the phone number for 911? I forget that one sometimes, but it, that, you know, that's an important one to remember. Remembering to change your oil, right? And many of our vehicles, thankfully, now have an idiot light that comes on and says service engine soon. I'm thankful for that idiot light aptly named in my pickup truck to change my oil. Some things have reminders built in. Important things often have reminders built in, right? Again, like my car and idiot light or your insurance company will mail you a reminder to make sure that you send in that check in order for you to keep your insurance going with them. The most important things in life are usually things that you need repeated reminders for, right? You remembered your wife, you remembered your anniversary this year, great. And almost immediately you start worrying, well, I hope I remember next year, right? Because i got to remember it again next year. The, the most important things are often things that we need continual reminders for. And there are things, brothers and sisters, that God wants us to remember. There are things that God wants us to remember. And in fact, he looks at us and he tells us, remember this. Don't forget this. This is something that's incredibly important. Don't forget to remember, right? I'm not leaving you with an excuse to, to uh, forget this. He wants us to remember. And these, these regular reminders are graciously given to us by God as an important rhythm in our lives. It's an important rhythm in our lives. Um, are the drums turned on? Can you turn the drums on to me for a second? For, uh, on for a second? We're talking about rhythm. I hadn't planned on using the drum necessarily. Okay. So a lot of times, our life, the, the rhythm of our life seems like this. Right? Monday, Tuesday, dark disappointment, and I can't remember what, what day it is of the week, and then I got to take the kids to swim lessons, and then I got to go over here, and I have a, and I, oh, I forgot to make that delivery, and then, and then, um, and then you're sick for a week. And then you're back, you know, and then you got you to catch up, and then, and then, and then, you, and then, and I talk with some of you, and you don't even know what day of the week it is. What day is it? Friday? What? 
right? And that's what life often feels like for us, right? And what God has done graciously in the scriptures is he's built in some rhythms. And while we are, you know, our lives feel like this, the cadence of Sunday rolls around every week. And what it helps us do is it helps us have rhythm. It brings a way for us to remember the things that are important for us to remember. In, in what, the passage that we're looking at here this morning, God on purpose builds into the life of the people of Israel a rhythm, the, the celebration of Passover. And what God is doing graciously for his people is he's reminding them of something. I'm going to build into the annual calendar of Israel a reminder something that's going to happen this year, and then it's going to happen again next year, and then it's going to happen again next year. And there are a bunch of different kinds of reminders that God built into the nation of Israel and that God builds into us. We're going to talk about it here in our New Testament context as well. God graciously gives us these rhythms to remind us of the things that are important. Passover in the Old Testament was a significant reminder the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is a significant reminder. It's a, it's a rhythm that God has given us to, re, to, to, uh, to uh, bring into our lives over and over and over and over again because we need it. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to see the connections, the links between the Passover of the Old Testament and the Lord's Supper of the New Testament. There's no way for us to fully understand and fully comprehend the significance of the Lord's Supper if we don't understand the significance and the beauty of the Passover of the Old Testament. This morning, my sermon title is this, From Passover to the Present. From Passover to the Present. And here in Exodus chapter 12, we read of the very first Passover. And we read some of these verses last week. We're going to read them again this week. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. And then I'm going to jump down to the end of the chapter as well. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take According to the number of the persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall take it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So you take the lamb on the 10th day, you keep it to the 14th day, for four days, this lamb lives inside the home with you and your family. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not, any, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day, this Passover, this day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And this is where it gets its title as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now jump down to verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. If you're not part of God's people, you don't get to partake in this remembrance. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him, right? So you've, anyone who's been brought into the nation can partake of it. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. 
All the people did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at this original Passover here in Exodus chapter 12. And then I want us to think about how the Passover has been celebrated until the time of Christ. And then I want us to look at the experience that Jesus Christ and his disciples had when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, or excuse me, the Passover in that upper room before Christ's crucifixion. And then I want us to consider the connections between that and the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate together here this morning. Okay, so a little bit of a different kind of outline. We're definitely in Exodus chapter 12, but we're going to take a chronological approach. So the first point this morning is this. We want to look at the first, this first Passover. And we spent the whole sermon last week talking about this very first Passover. It was the 10th and final plague that God had brought against Egypt. And the Lord himself takes credit and he says, I'm going to come into the land and I'm going to strike dead the firstborn of everyone and everything Egyptian and Israelite, but I'm providing a way for my people to be spared from the wrath by putting the blood of an innocent lamb on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. And so the people of Israel, imagine, imagine our families being giving, given these kinds of, of instructions, right? And so that night, that earlier that day, we'd be talking with, with the, each other. We'd, I'd talk with Troy and Keith, and I'd say, okay, now, you guys, you remember the instructions, right? I want to make sure I've got it right. Like, we've got we to kill. We, we brought this lamb into our home a few days ago, and it, it's a lamb with, like, it's a male, right? Right, okay. And it's without blemish, right? Right. And, okay, and I'm going to shed its blood. And it was, was it parsley? No, hyssop, hyssop. Dip hyssop into the blood, and I'm going to spread that over the doorpost, right? And, like, this is a serious thing. And real people in real time, in real history, experienced this. And they killed a lamb. A lamb that they had brought into their home and they had grown to love. And they spread the blood of this lamb over the doorpost. And then they eat the flesh of this lamb. They enjoy the, the meal together. And there were specific instructions about how the meal was to be enjoyed, right? The, the lamb, you couldn't cook it in the microwave, right? You couldn't boil it. You couldn't eat it raw. It had to be roasted. There were specific instructions about how the meal was to be prepared. And there were to be no leftovers. And some commentaries, commentators even, even um, uh, mentioned the fact that maybe the reason there was no leftovers is because the, the point was being made that this sacrifice was being provided to provide life for God's people. And there weren't going to be leftovers, scraps lying around. People couldn't come and eat it later the next day. Like it was a one-time sacrifice for God's people. There weren't going to, this was, this was once and done. No leftovers. And they were to eat it with unleavened bread. And there were a couple of reasons why um, the bread was to be unleavened. Now, if you've had bread with leaven in it and you've had unleavened bread and you know the difference, you know one of them is a whole lot more pleasant to, to eat and enjoy, right? The bread that we use for our Lord's Supper communion is unleavened bread. It's one of the reasons why it's kind of flat and dry and tasteless. I'm sure there are good versions of unleavened bread, but I've never had one. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> but like a big fat yeast roll, right? Like, no, that's, that doesn't count. There were a couple of reasons. Throughout the scriptures, the idea of leaven is often used to represent sin. It's actually one of the things throughout the scriptures that leaven is represented uh, or, or is used to represent, used to illustrate sin. And so the sacrifice, was, this, this festival was to be a time of, of, of careful uh, uh, removal of sin. But then it was also, uh, um, leaven took time. And if you were going to make bread and you put leaven in, 
I've seen this happen in my home before. Um, Angie breaks, bakes bread on occasion, and right, you, the, the leaven causes the loaf to rise, right? And then you've got this big, beautiful, golden sourdough loaf. One of my wife's frustrations with cooking bread at our home is that she will spend what, like a day and a half preparing, getting this br- loaf of bread ready, right? And then it comes out of the oven, and how long does it take for that loaf to disappear? Yeah, not even an hour, right? I mean, the mo- five minutes. The moment it is cool enough, well, actually, we're usually eating it, but it's still too hot, right? Like, slather it in butter, and it's gone. So that's, that's one of my wife's frustrations about um, making leavened bread. Unleavened bread, though, could be qu- cooked quickly. You could quickly prepare some dough and cook it over a fire, and the bread was ready. And what God was doing here with Egypt is he was preparing them to, to celebrate this meal in a way where you are ready to go at a moment's notice. Because he goes on to describe the way that they're to, they're, they're to eat this meal. And he says, with belts fastened, sandals on, and staff in hand. Why, why, why is God telling them to celebrate this meal or to, to uh, take the meal this way? Well, many of you know that the reason that they're being told to do that is because God is literally getting ready to deliver them. Like they are, they are minutes, if not hours, if not minutes away from the Exodus, which Matt's going to preach on next week. And God wants them to be ready. It would be like saying, okay, go pack your bags, go get in the car, load your stuff in the car, have the engine running, and we're going to eat dinner in the minivan with the engine running and bags packed. That's what God is communicating. And unleavened bread was bread that could be ready and, and ready to go in a moment's notice. And they're to actually even eat it quickly. They're to eat this bread. They're to eat the meal quickly, right? Most of us, I mean, it's okay. I just said something that upset her. She'll be all right. Um, uh, most of us, right, when we're teaching our children how to eat, we're teaching them, slow down right? Slow down. You don't have to eat it that fast. I still often find myself kind of in a, you know, feeding frenzy. Like, it's not going to go anywhere. You don't have to eat that fast. This, the instructions were, be ready to go and eat quickly. Scarf it down. This first Passover is being experienced this way. And as we know from what we've already read and then what Matt's going to preach from uh, from this passage from Exodus chapter 12 next week, God is literally, they're going to eat the meal and then they're gone. The death angel is going to come and do, and Pharaoh is going to send word to Moses, get out, and they're going to go. The exodus will have occurred. This first Passover is being experienced this way. But in the middle of this first Passover, as God is giving Pharaoh and Moses, uh, Pharaoh, uh, Moses and Aaron, as God is giving them instructions about this first Passover, he's also saying, and by the way, you're going to keep celebrating this. This is going to be a memorial feast forever. I want my people to remember this event, and I'm going to make the experience you're having here on the very first Passover, I want that to be a template. I want you to remember that next year and the year after that and the year after that. In fact, we're going to set the cal- we're hitting the we're hitting the reset button on I'm going to give you your own calendar, the month of Abib is going to be this first month in this calendar, and this is going to be a marker of, I'm making you a new nation. I'm delivering you from Israel. The exodus is occurring. I'm giving you this festival to remember, this feast to remember year after year after year. And the first Passover happened this way. And the second Passover, or, or excuse me, the, the uh, 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the instructions for how the Passover would be remembered throughout history, are given right here in this passage. That brings us to the second point, the Passover throughout history. Instructions were given right here in this passage as to how to continue the Passover celebration. You're to have a lamb. You're to have unleavened bread. You're to have these bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs, you remember what the bitter herbs were part to, there to represent? The, the bitterness, yeah, the bitterness of slavery, the challenges and the difficulties uh, represented there in slavery. And the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, are, they're the same thing. The Feast is the week-long, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the week-long celebration celebrating the Passover moment um, uh, uh, in, in this uh, account here in Exodus chapter 12. The Passover is referring to the actual event of Yahweh seeing the blood and Passovering, uh, passing over the home. Some of you have had opportunity to participate in and experience a Seder meal. How many of you have partaken of a Seder meal before? Okay, a number of you have, and I know some of you even have Jewish culture and Messianic Judaism as part of even your history and your background. Um, and what I'd like to do, Lord willing, this next, next Passover, um, uh, I actually want us as a church to do a, a Seder meal together. Um, I I've never experienced one. I've never been to one. Um, that, to my shame, I wish I had. I thought about trying to recreate some of it here this morning, and I just thought, I've never even done it. Some of you would do a better job of doing that, and we'll talk about doing that together um, uh, uh, next year, next Passover. The Seder meal, the, the word Seder is a word that means order. It's a meal that has a specific order to it, and there are a number of elements to it. And the, the, the traditional Seder meal throughout history has transitioned and evolved and picked up some additional. Um, it's not just um, lamb and uh, unleavened bread and bitter herbs. There are some other components that represent other parts of the slavery in Exodus or the slavery in Egypt and the deliverance from uh, the Exodus from Egypt. The, that meal has changed throughout history. But some of those, those primary points uh, that the Jewish people have been celebrating since this first Passover, um, are, it's, it's an annual reminder. It's that rhythm. Here's what God has done for us, and here's what we've been celebrating as God's delivered people. Um, and uh, uh, in this passage, uh, the verses 43 through 51 make it clear that, that this celebration, this reminder, this annual festival was only for God's people. And that's gonna, we're going to talk about the significance of that here in a little bit. That's really important. Just because other people happen to be visiting you during Passover or just because somebody else wanted to come in and share this meal with you, it was not a meal that could be shared. God had actually put up structures and limits and said, this meal, this festival, this feast is only, is only for my people. Gentiles were not allowed in unless they converted Right? It talks about the circumcision necessary in order for them to, this wasn't just, hey, I, we kind of want to be, uh, we'll, uh, this weekend we'll be uh, Jewish. No, no, no. This was, they were coming to be followers of the one true God. And in the original Passover, you recall um, that they ate their meal standing up. They were ready to go. They were ready to flee Egypt. And uh, um, after that first Passover and through the years, the people of, uh, of Israel, the, the Jews, began celebrating the Passover, and they would actually recline. They would say, when we were slaves, we stood. When we were slaves in Egypt, we were standing ready to go. But now that we've been delivered, we recline at the table. And, and even Jesus and his disciples, we're going to talk about it here in just a second, they would have been reclining at a table 
um, celebrating the Passover the way that it has begun being celebrated um, throughout history and throughout time. The feast reminds Israel every year of who they are and of who God is. How he delivered them by the blood of a sacrificial lamb from their hopeless enslavement in Egypt. And faithful Jews would have been celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread year after year after year after year. You get the idea, right? The rhythm every year being reminded, here's who we are. Here's who God is. Here's what God has done for us. And did you recall, did you catch in verses 23 through 25, um, there's this idea, uh, look in verse... um, Verse 26, when your children shall say to you, what do you mean by this service? That Seder meal, those of you who have been part of a Seder meal, you know that built into that Seder, built into that order, there are questions and answers. And the children are given different things to do in this Passover meal. And the the children ask questions, why is this night different? And why do we eat the bitter herbs? And And the children are given questions to ask. And the, the father there at the table uh, responds with the answers, and he reminds them of, we celebrate tonight, be, we, we eat the bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness that w- we experienced when we were in Egypt, and we, we, uh, we do this part of the, to remind us that we've been set free from, um, from bondage, and to remind us of who Yahweh God is. And the, the children, Moses knew that it would be important, not just for adults to remember year after year, but for children to be taught This is what we do. This is who we are. So that as they would grow, they would learn these things. And then, of course, as children grow, they get married. They have children. And now those children are teaching the next generation. See, brothers and sisters, discipleship is the heart of God. The generations teaching the next generations teaching the next generations. And this isn't part of my notes, but just let me remind each generation in here this morning. You should feel the responsibility of what Matt reminded us of already this morning. We exist to make disciples here in Dalhart, and the way that God made this to work was for generation to teach the next generation to teach the next generation to teach the next generation. God built it into even this Passover celebration, this Passover festival. And so for thousands of years, God's people have been celebrating this Passover Brothers and sisters, do you remember what nationality Jesus is? He's a Jew. And so do you know what Jesus as a one-year-old would have experienced in his devoutly Jewish home? He would have experienced the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Of unleavened bread. He, his family would have celebrated the Passover when he was one year old. And when he was two years old, do you know what Jesus would have experienced? Passover. And when Jesus was three, maybe when Jesus was three, he was old enough now that he, he could kind of you know, communicate a little bit. And so he was given some questions to ask, why is tonight different? And Jesus himself, as a Jew, would have been told, the reason we take the bitter herbs is to remind us of the bitterness that our forefathers experienced in Egypt. 
And the reason that we drink the cup of redemption is to remind us of how Yahweh delivered us from Egypt by the blood sacrifice of an innocent lamb. And Jesus Christ himself, as a young Jewish boy, would have grown up with this celebration. He would have asked these questions. He would have ate and drank. He would have eaten unleavened bread, drank the fruit of the vine, um, eaten the bitter herbs, eaten the the lamb. Jesus himself would have grown up experiencing this festival, this feast, the Feast of Unleavened Breads, of Unleavened Bread. Jesus and his 12 disciples, do you remember what his 12 disciples, what nationality they were? Yeah, they they were Jews as well, right? I'm going to have to remind us of this often. Christianity is not originally American or English or European, right? Like we are the Gentiles. We've been brought into this thing. We're the ones who got in through circumcision, okay? Jesus and his disciples from the first time, their first years together would have been celebrating Exodus chapter 12. I guarantee you Jesus and his disciples had Exodus chapter 12 memorized. I mean, I can almost guarantee you. They would have been far more familiar with all of the Old Testament than we are. And they would have known, okay, we're getting ready. We're almost, we're almost to the end of our calendar year. We're getting ready to start a new year. And, okay, do we have lambs ready? Are lambs being birthed at the right time this year so that next year we'll have that male lamb? And, okay, we've got four or five lambs that have just been born that are going to be ready for next year's festival. And, like, this would have been, this would have been part of the rhythm. Again and again and again and again. That would have been part of Jesus' life and part of Jesus's. Um, the, the, Jesus' followers, Jesus' uh, disciples. And, and in Luke chapter 22, and I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22, each of the four Gospels record Jesus' celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And friends, I, I think it's incredibly important this morning, and well, for all of our lives, but especially as what we're talking about this morning, I think it's important for us to remember that what Jesus is doing here with his disciples in this upper room during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he's not celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper. He's celebrating Passover. That's why they're gathered. He didn't say to his disciples, now, go find a guy. He's going to have a donkey tied up. Take it. He's in, in, uh, well, this is after the donkey. Go find a guy. He's got a room reserved for us. Um, go, with the, go with that guy, and there will be a room, and you'll, he'll tell you what to do, and then we'll all come in and, and meet you there later. Um, and then because, I'm gonna, because we're going to have the Lord's Supper, I have this really cool object lesson that I've come up with that I want to share with you. That is not at all what Jesus is doing. Now, it is cool. When you read through the gospel accounts, there's, like, there's several parts that are vague, like, go and find the guy, uh, and he's going to tell you about someone else, and they're going to take you to an upper room that I've prepared for you. And it sounds like Jesus is talking in kind of like secrecy and code, like, he, like I went and made plans with this guy, but I can't tell you who it is because I don't want to blow his cover yet. Friends, do you realize at this point in Jesus' ministry, he is very well known in Jerusalem. He has caused a lot of problems in Jerusalem. He's gone in and re- wreaked havoc among the temple, the money changers, and that sort of thing. Jesus is moving through Jerusalem with his hood up, and he is going around to people and saying, okay, I'm going to send one of my disciples to you tomorrow night, and I want you to take him. Go ahead and have that room ready, and then I'll send one of my disciples, and, and you take him up there, 
um, and, and show them where we're going to have our, where we're going to celebrate Passover, right? And so then Jesus, okay, we're good, we're good. Okay, and then Jesus is with his disciples. Very likely, this is why that sounds so cryptic and kind of clandestine to us, right? Jesus is kind of working like a Jason Bourne operative because if he goes out in public, they're going to get him. Jesus is operating this way. But what Jesus is setting up here, brothers and sisters, is not just the Lord's Supper. He's celebrating this meal, this feast that he would have celebrated every year of his life. It was time for another Passover. And the Jewish people love Passover. It's a time of feasting and celebration. And Jesus, for years, has experienced this same festival. And, and for, many of, for several years, even with these same disciples, but Jesus knows that this one's different. And many scholars actually believe that Jesus is celebrating, this is a little bit disputed, so, but I actually think there's some legitimacy to this, that Jesus was very likely celebrating the Passover one day earlier with his disciples because he was going to be sacrificed at the same time the sacrificial lambs were being sacrificed. I mean, he is the Lamb of God who's taking away the sins of the world. I mean, that's a, there's, there's some beautiful imagery there for Jesus Christ himself to actually be sacrificed when the lambs are being sacrificed. So there's, there's a little bit of, uh, of conflict as to exactly what moment um, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating Passover, but that's what they're doing. They're celebrating Passover. And, and, and Luke, uh, uh, and, uh, in our minds, I think I'm afraid that we have the wrong idea of what that meal looked like. So for a second, imagine, what do you think the Last Supper looked like? And for some of you, you may have this image in your mind. This, how many of you had that image in your mind? Anybody? Okay, a handful of you do. Bad image. Beautiful painting, Leonardo da Vinci. Incredible, right? I learned all about it in Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, beautiful piece of artwork totally European, would have looked nothing like what the original or what the Passover that Christ celebrated with his disciples. I think this next picture would be a little more in keeping with what it actually looked like. There are so many things that I want to learn and that I want to say about how the Jews celebrate their Seder meals and how they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and the, the Passover. And some of you who've experienced the Seder, I, I'm sure your brain is going, but Jeremy, say this, Jeremy, say this, Jeremy, say this. I, I just, there's really four sermons that I'm preaching in one this morning, okay? So I, I don't have time to cover all the elements of the Seder and all the nuances of the Seder. But I do want to point this out. I do think this is uh, worth noting. It, it's almost certain that, that they would have had a U-shaped table like that low to the ground, and they, it, it describes them as reclining at table, right? So you can see why it would even make sense that they likely, a, a right-handed eater would prop himself up on his elbow, his left elbow. There'd be cushions that they would be um, propped up against there with each other. And if you're, if you're leaning on your left elbow and, you're, you're recli- and the table is a U-shaped, you're not going to see the guy behind you. You're going to see the guy in front of you. Uh, the host would often sit one end from the end there where you see Jesus kneeling um, or the figure that represents Jesus there kneeling. Um, and so you remember the passage where it talks about how that John lean, was leaning on the, his Savior's breast during this meal? You, you, you recall that passage? Well, it makes sense if everybody's already laying down in the first place. And if I want to talk to the person behind me, and if you've been, if you've been around Middle Eastern culture people before, they are just way more physical and huggy and kissy than, than we are. So if John wants to lean back and say something to Jesus, it, w- it would not be weird 
when he leans back for his head to literally be on the chest of his Savior. Okay, so something more along these lines is likely, I mean, we, we don't have a photo from what the Last Supper, what the Passover meal looked like when Jesus celebrated it with his disciples. Very likely something more like this. Okay, Jay, we can go back to that point number three there. Luke chapter 22, verses 14. Let me just read a few verses here. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Lord's Supper with you before I suffer. Is that what he said? No, I have earnestly, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I mean, again, we know from what we know about the disciples that that comment probably just went over their heads. Like, But we know when Jesus says, I, I have earnestly desired to celebrate this Passover meal with you before I suffer. We're seeing in those phrases just um, uh, yeah, a, a kaleidoscope of, of gospel imagery there. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. Now, every single one of the disciples there have grown up knowing exactly what that bread represents. That bread represents uh, the, the, the unleavenedness of it, represents sinlessness, and it represents the haste with which their people ate the bread uh, of, and the, of that first Passover meal before they ran out uh, and were delivered by God. The disciples, they know what that bread is. They know what the bread represents. And Jesus takes that bread that already, before he says a word, already is full of meaning to those disciples. And he says, take this bread, and he gave it to them, and he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, in this moment, before he's gone to the cross and before his resurrection, surely the disciples are going, we know what this represents. That doesn't make any sense. Your body's right there. This bread is right here. This bread represents the deliverance that, we, that our forefathers experienced from Egypt. What are you talking about? It's your body. And do this in remembrance. What do you mean remember you and remember your body as this bread? Likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, and, and again, uh, I, I don't have time to go into all the details of the Seder meal, but this, the, the Passover meal, as, as it had been celebrated throughout the thousands of years after the original Passover, between the original Passover and the time of Christ, there, was, there were several different elements that were introduced as part of that Passover meal. And there were four cups, whether it was four individual cups or four times that the cup uh, of wine was drank from. But there were four different, basically, we would think of it as a toast. Four different times that... that um, that the, the father of the home would, would pronounce a blessing. There were four different blessings that were pronounced during that Seder meal. I have them here. The, 
four different blessings that were pronounced. The first one, um, they would pronounce the blessing of deliverance, I, where God says, I will take you out. And they would drink to remember the deliverance that God had provided for them. And then the second was with, um, the, the, um, the second cup was the being set free from, from bondage. And they would bless God for setting them free. The third was a, a cup of redemption where they would remember how the shed blood of the lamb redeemed them. And then the last was taking you unto myself. It was kind of a, a blessing of uh, reminding them of, of marriage. So there were these four different cups, these four different times that they would drink from the cup. And, and most scholars believe that as Jesus holds forth in verse 20 of Luke chapter 22, likewise, the cup uh, after they had eaten, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Most scholars believe that that's the cup of redemption. The cup that reminded them of the shed blood of the lamb that was slain to deliver them from Egypt. And Jesus holds forth this cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new promise. It's a promise in blood. It's a promise in not the blood of a lamb, not the blood of a yearling lamb. The, it's my blood. And again, the disciples are like, we know what that cup represents. We've been doing this our whole lives. That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? A new covenant in your blood. Remember you, you're here. We know what this meal represents. And of course, as we know, Jesus celebrates this Passover meal with his disciples, and then he goes on to become what John the Baptist said of him originally, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his body is broken and his blood is shed to become the final Lamb of sacrifice, to become the final Lamb who was slain. And so, brothers and sisters, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Go ahead and turn there. This will be our final passage. It brings us to point number four, the Lord's Supper today. The, the, the primary thing I want us to see this morning is how directly connected what we call the Lord's Supper, how directly connected to the Passover festival it is. It's not its own independent thing. Jesus wasn't sitting around with his disciples one night after dinner and said, ah, I have an idea. You'll be able to remember me really well if I give you this object lesson. It's not disconnected from Passover. And I would argue this, that we cannot understand what God would have us doing um, with the regular remembrance of the Lord's Supper, with the rhythm of the Lord's Supper over and over and over and over. We can't understand this rhythm if we don't understand that rhythm. They are not separated. They are celebrating one thing. The Lord's Supper today, we need to understand what we're doing as we remember. We, we know that in that original, uh, or the, the, the Passover is only for God's people, right? So the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that's why we always say, if you're a member of a local church in good standing and walking with the Lord, we invite you to partake in the Lord's Supper. But those who are not Christians, those who are not walking with the Lord, we ask that you not partake. Because this, memory, this remembrance is for God's people. The, the Passover was for God's people, and the Lord's Supper is for God's people. And like the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ was a mature male, and none of his bones were broken, and he was found spotless without any leaven, and he was slain for sins. And we remember the one and true Passover lamb. You, you see, you need the Lord's Supper. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verse 17, Paul is giving the church at Corinth instructions on how they're to remember what Jesus did with his disciples during that Passover meal. Now, now with all of this that we've talked about in our brains, let's read these verses. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, so I want to make this point. The Lord's Supper is to be celebrated when the church gathers. And I, I realize there may be some who would disagree with this, but I don't think the Lord's Supper is something for you to just have on your own at home. You're like, oh, I don't feel very spiritual today. I, I'm going to get some grape juice and I'm going to get some bread and I'm going to unleavened bread and I'm going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I don't think it's something that is intended to be celebrated by yourself or even like oh, I'm going to have a small group of people over and we're going to do this together. I actually think it's something like God's people celebrated Passover together as a nation. I think God's people gather together to remember this. And there's several reasons that I think that's significant, but I think one of the most direct is verse 18. When you come together as a church, he's describing what has been happening here. There are problems that they've experienced here when they gathered together as a church. There's divisions among you. There's factions among you. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For, it's eating, uh, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Paul is correcting some of the problems that they're experiencing when they gather together um, and experience the Lord's Supper together. Verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, right? you remember he and Judas dipped together, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke that bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in, remem in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Brothers and sisters, as the nation of Israel would celebrate the, the, fe the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, year after year after year, they were proclaiming the deliverance of Yahweh. They were reminding themselves of how God had delivered them from slavery through the sacrifice of a lamb. And when we celebrate this, when we come together as a church and we take this bread and this, and this juice, we are reminding ourselves of this exact same thing. And while the people of Israel looked forward to a perfect Passover lamb who would come, we, with these elements, look back to the perfect Passover lamb who did come, Jesus Christ. And the bread and the wine remind us of the same thing the Passover elements reminded the people of, of God for, of God's, of Yahweh's deliverance from slavery through the sacrifice of a lamb. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we take the bread and, when, and we eat the bread together, what's something, and just so you know, these elements, they're not magical, right? There's not, there's not, there's, this is unleavened bread. Um, matzo is, is uh, what the, the Jewish name for it. Um, but this, this, there's nothing magical um, about the bread. But what the bread do, uh, does for us is bring spiritual grace into our lives. Um, when you eat bread, what, happen, what happens to this? What happened in the first place to this bread? There was one big sheet of it, and now it's like this. So what had to happen to the bread? It was broken up. 
And then we're going to take the bread, and when you put it in your mouth, what, is your, what do your teeth do to the bread? Break it more, crush it, tear it, destroy it. But then when the bread goes in your stomach, and I don't understand how the digestive processes work, but what happens when you eat things? What, what does it do to your body? It nourishes your body. It brings life and strength and nourishment into your body. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was broken. He was torn. He was destroyed. His flesh was ripped. His flesh was broken. His flesh was destroyed. But for those who partake in Christ, what happens for them spiritually? Life. They're strengthened. There's nourishment. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I genuinely believe that as we partake in the Lord's Supper together and we understand the significance of it, that when we take the bread and when we drink the juice, there's so little of it that, I mean, I don't even know if it registers on your, your body's nourishment meter, right? I don't, you know, are you better off because you came and ate this food this morning? I think you'd be fine even without it. But brothers and sisters, spiritually, what you're doing is you're taking and you're saying, Christ is in me. I'm nourishing myself with the broken body of Jesus Christ. And here's the, th there's another beautiful part of this picture, and this is why I think it's important for us to do it together as a church. One loaf has been broken, and you take some, and you take some, and you take some, and you take some, and I take some. And what does that say about us? That we, in community, that we, as a group of people, together confess we are nourished and strengthened by the body of Jesus Christ. We're in this together. So, brothers and sisters, the, bo the, the body represents... Oh, and I heard several commentators say this, and I, I thought it was at least interesting. Uh, you, look at, you look at unleavened bread, and it's usually got some, some browning on it where it's kind of been burned and grilled, and it's, it's usually been pierced. Um, a lot of it has stripes on it, and a lot of people would say the stripes represent the stripes given to Jesus Christ, the piercing, and th these literally do have holes in it. The piercing represents the pierced hands and the pierced feet and the pierced side of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of imagery here. Again, the, the scriptures don't directly articulate that, but it's there. Let it remind you of the, the body of Jesus Christ given for you, and the cup reminds us of the blood that was spilled, the blood that was shed, the blood on the doorposts. So we take of the body and the blood, and Jesus himself is saying, this is my body. When you eat of it, it will nourish you. Take me into you. And we know that that is, means spiritually. We take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it's not for outsiders. It's not for outsiders. Look in verse 28. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, and so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what Paul is saying here is judge yourselves. Are you in the faith, and are you walking with the Lord? This is not for the uncircumcised. This, this is for God's people. So that's why we often, before we take the Lord's Supper, say, stop, brothers and sisters, take a moment. Are you, are you a Christian? Are you walking with the Lord? Does what's on the outside of your life 
give truth to the fact that you're, or, or what you're getting ready to profess to each other. Do you realize when you eat this bread and drink the, the cup that you're, you're preaching? You're saying something about you and what you believe. You're saying, I proclaim that this is true of me. I'm nourished by Christ. I, 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 his, sacrifice, his sacrifice is for me. Brothers and sisters, God has graciously given the church this rhythmic reminder to do over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because on Tuesday, you'll forget who you are. And you'll start acting like you're in Egypt again. And you'll start acting like Pharaoh's your boss. You'll start acting like Pharaoh on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But Sunday's coming, and Sunday's a rhythm. Sunday's a beat. Sunday's a reminder. And brothers and sisters, many churches celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's just a little secret. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, sometimes people say, well, if you do it every week, it'll become familiar to you, and you'll take it for granted. We preach every week. We sing every week. We give offerings every week. You brush your teeth every week, at least once a week, right? There are a lot of important things that we do every week that don't lose the significance and the importance of it. Right now, we do it once a month. That once a month is a reminder because we forget. We forget who we are. We forget what God has done. And God wants there to regularly, for there to be a reminder. And different Christian, I mean, Christian people have done it differently throughout throughout the ages. Sometimes it looked more like what Jesus and his disciples did where they're gathered around a low-lying low table. Here we have pre, pre, um, pre-prepared, I guess, um, uh, little cups with juice and crackers that remind us of who we are. We were slaves. We could not deliver ourselves from the bondage that we experienced, and we didn't deserve to be delivered because we were such good people. But Yahweh made a plan. Yahweh had a way for his people to be delivered, and it necessitated bringing a sinless lamb making sure that it was without blemish and it was a year old and it was a male and its throat was slit and its blood was shed and that blood was put up to be visible so that, so that as Yahweh came over, the death angel would see the blood and pass over the house and life would be given where death was deserved. So this morning, I'm going to invite the deacons who are going to come and serve the elements to us. I'm going to ask Paula to come. And um, actually, I'm going to give us a minute to, to meditate as well. I will ask Paula to come to the, to the piano. But I want us to take a minute. You've got Exodus chapter 12 in front of you. You've got the, the end of any of the Gospels in front of you where the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is listed for you there. Let's take a moment. And Paula, you just go ahead and begin playing. Um, and I want you to take a moment and think about you and think about God. I, I, I'm sure I left so many stones unturned and may have created more questions this morning than answered. But what I do want us to remember is this. God has given us a way to remember. He's given us a a rhythm. Many still celebrate Passover. It is a beautiful understanding of what God did in Exodus chapter 12. We here as a New Testament church have the Lord's Supper, which is directly linked to Passover. It is not an intrinsically different thing. And it reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect Passover lamb, that Yahweh saw you in your bondage to sin 
and to slavery to the Pharaoh in Egypt of this world. And God sent the perfect Lamb of God to be crushed and to shed his blood so that you could turn from sin, put faith in Jesus Christ, and be delivered from Egypt. For many in here, that's your testimony. You have, you have put faith. You have come under the blood of the perfect lamb. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, then I want to call upon you to repent of your sins and put faith in the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ, as for your salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with the Lord, you know that there's unrepentant sin in your life, then when the Lord's Supper comes by, when this, these elements come by, don't proclaim a lie about yourself. Wait and get right with the Lord and get right with others. And then the next time we celebrate this, with full heart, join in. Do you have sin that you need to do business with between you and the Lord right here, right now? There's no such thing as a sinless person. But I'm talking about those who are holding, you have known sin in your life that you will not give up, then, then don't partake. But do take a moment to remember what it is that we're doing. I'll invite the deacons to come forward now and we'll begin distributing the elements.